0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to be talking about bike tools. The Scottish philosopher Thomas Carlyle once said that man is a tool-using animal. Without tools, he is nothing. With tools, he is all. So, In this episode, we're going to lay out the essential mountain bike tools everyone should own, how to choose quality tools, tips for setting up your own workspace, and we're going to share some resources for improving your wrench skills. So Aaron, I know you're a big believer in owning a good collection of mountain bike tools. Why is it important to build up such a collection?
1: Well, a lot of it comes down to self-sufficiency, which is a principle we talk a lot about here at Single Tracks. Mountain biking in general, you should learn to be self-sufficient. You need to have enough food and water out on the trail. You need to know how to fix mechanicals when they arise on the trail so you can get back to civilization, uh, as we talked about in our backcountry survival episode recently. But yeah, so learning how to work on your bike in your own shop, it gives you a better understanding of how your components work. It's going to allow you to diagnose problems better, And catch minor issues before they become major problems. So even if you're not doing every little bit of work on your bike yourself, you'll have a better idea when you go into the bike shop of what's going wrong with your bike and you can explain to them uh, what you think the issue is. And of course, what you learn in the shop is going to help you out on the trail when problems do arise and it increases your MacGyver ability I would say. Another Part of it is uh, doing repairs at home is going to save you time and money in the long run. I still take my bike to the shop occasionally, but it's nice to know that if it's the night before a big ride and I need to work on something on my bike, I can probably get it done at home.
0: Yeah, those are all really good points. So if someone is setting up a home shop and they want to get some shop tools, which tools do you think people should start with? Which are the ones that are sort of essential
1: First up, you're going to want to get a set of hex keys or Allen keys, metric only. Don't worry about getting any standard size tools for your bike. A lot of times they'll sell the standard and metric together as a set, like if you go to Home Depot or something like that, but just get the metric.
0: Throw away those other ones because you're going to get them mixed in, (laughs) which is what happens to me.
1: Yeah. I actually have like an old small toolbox that is just houses all my standard size tools that, um, I've gotten over the years and haven't had a use for. So that small toolbox just lives underneath my workbench collecting dust. So, you know, I know it's tempting. It's probably, you know, a set of uh, metric Allen keys is like $5 and then a set with standard is eight bucks. So it seems like a good deal, but you don't need them. If your bike has standard bolts on it, you're probably not listening to this podcast.
0: It's an American-made bike, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are none. Even they use metric. So anyway, getting back to to what you'll need, the, the 4, 5, and 6 millimeter are going to cover a surprising amount of repairs on your bike or adjustments, rather, I should say. But you'll need the other sizes As well, I recommend the L-shaped version as they tend to be a little more versatile than a folding set. At least if you're using them in your shop, like I said, you can pick up a set of ten for about five dollars typically. No need to spend a lot of money here. It's just an L of metal, so yeah, no need to ball out on uh, on your Allen keys. If you want to spend a little bit more, spring for something a bit nicer. You can get a set of T handles. And those are helpful for a lot of situations. And I have a set in my own shop, but I still find myself needing the, the L-shaped ones to get into tight uh, confines on your bike, which there are a lot, especially when you start getting into full suspensions and, you know, trying to get into weird angles on the frame. You can't really do that with the T the handles
2: always. Another thing you can do is, uh, if once you have your full set, you can buy a Y wrench, which will have a three-way tool for you. And basically, they generally have the four, five, and six millimeter tools on this one, uh, Y-shaped wrench. And these are super handy, uh, because you can go from bolt to bolt to bolt and, uh, get maybe 75% of your bolt twisting done with one tool, which speeds up your process and makes it pretty quick. So, I mean, and those are like, you know, 10 bucks for a cheap one and you can probably spend more than that. You know, some people will say that you should buy a more expensive set of wrenches because they're going to last longer and they're going to be more durable. But the thing I found with the $5 sets is I can usually get like five to seven years out of one. So if I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on a really expensive set, I'm not quite sure when that math is going to start working out for me. So yeah, we'll
1: we'll get into the cost of tools later, but in in some cases it does uh, benefit to pay more. But in in instances like this, where it's, like I said, it's just an L shaped piece of metal, um, there really isn't uh, much of a benefit to balling out.
0: Yeah. So a few years ago, you probably would have been able to get away with. You know, using Allen wrenches on your bike. You know, taking most parts on and off. Uh, but these days, we're seeing a lot more Torx heads on different parts. So, what about Torx wrenches? And no, we're talking about Torx T O R X and not torque, which has a Q in it. Uh, it so, does. Yeah, maybe talk about that a little, Aaron.
1: Sure. Like Jeff said, they are becoming a little bit more prevalent, at least on certain brands. I know SRAM is kind of gone. To torx bolts on a lot more of their stuff you can get away with just a t25 almost for everything that you'd need but you will need a couple other sizes um, once you get into more advanced repairs so again you can pick up a set of uh, torx keys for about 10 bucks so you may as well get a full set and just like greg said with the hex keys you can get a, a three-way or a Y wrench as they call them uh, that will cover basically everything you would need to do on a bike
0: yeah. I have one of those little kits or I probably have a few at this point, uh, that has, uh, it's like a adjustable screwdriver or I don't know what you call it, Yeah, but it's a multi-headed, multi-headed screwdriver. Uh, and it's a kit that a lot of times it'll come with like 20 different heads and generally you're going to have a few different torques sizes. You know, the screwdriver format is not super ergonomic. It's, it's hard to get a lot of, you know, torque on that and pressure on it, but uh, it does work to at least get you, you know, the basics. Yeah.
1: That was actually what, what I used for a long time for my Torx as well. You know, they're usually on the, it's like one of the impulse buy options <laughs> up at the front counter at your uh, ACE hardware.
0: Okay. So what else? We got our basic wrenches covered. Uh, what about, what about a floor pump? Is that a good investment? I mean, a lot of us probably already have a mini pump for out on the trail, but, uh, how about a floor pump for the shop?
1: Definitely want a floor pump. I think this would be one of the, the must own items for sure. Because one of the easiest way to prevent flats in the first place is to make sure your tires are properly inflated. Personally, I don't think there's any need to spend a ton of money on a floor pump. I've got a $30 Topeak Joe Blow that's lasted me over 10 years. Uh, I just recently had to replace the head on it. So, I mean, 10 years out of a $30 pump is pretty good. I would just recommend get one with a, a metal shaft and a metal base because pumps take a lot of abuse over the years. You know, if you think about it, you're pressing down on them with your body weight and you're standing on them and you're tossing them in the back of your truck or whatever. So the plastic ones tend to not fare as well. So again, you don't need to spend a ton of money, but uh, get, get one with, uh, with more metal pieces than plastic.
2: So while Aaron is a big fan of using a standard pump to seat any and all tubeless tires, I personally have become a big fan of the new uh charger style uh floor pumps. And basically this is a pump where you can charge up a big canister of high pressure air and then flip a switch and blast your tire and seat it tubeless. And now that, you know, nobody's running tubes on anything anymore, it's a pretty important piece of the puzzle, at least for my personal shop, and for me, even on standard tubeless tires, it makes it a lot easier. Plus tires and fat tires, you know, you're not going to be able to get those to seat with a standard pump generally. But you know, as Aaron said, his standard pump's 30 bucks, whereas a charger, um, the one from Topeak that I have, the Joe Blow Booster, uh, retails for 159. So that's not super cheap, but man, it's made it a heck of a lot easier for me. Another thing with tire pressures is that lots of pumps will have a pressure gauge on them. And generally they get close, but if you really want to dial your pressures, you might need a standalone gauge that's good at uh, registering super low pressures. So I use one of those as well in conjunction with my floor pump.
1: Yeah, definitely. If you're riding a fat bike, that's going to be really important because it's hard for a standard pump to, uh, to get pressures down to that low and be accurate. You know, when you're talking, Single or very low double-digit pressures. Yeah, I mean, the, those charger pumps are are great. They do make seating tubeless tires much easier. And if you don't have access to a compressor, they're they're a good way to go. Yeah, you know, I, I I can pump like a madman, I guess. And most all my all my bikes run typically two point three to two point five inch tires, so I I don't have to worry too much about the larger tires. Although on a couple of the test bikes I have, they it is hard as shit to mount a 2.8 with a with a floor pump. I can tell you that from personal experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. If you do have, if you already have an air compressor in your garage or whatever for you know woodworking projects or whatever, there are connectors that you can get to pump up your tires. Um, I had a hard time finding one of those honestly for a while, uh, but I eventually found one from Presta Cycle. And it's a, uh, it's got like a gauge and a lever and a little Presta valve on it, uh, that I think, you know, probably retails for t- between 25 and $50. It's kind of a big range, but it's probably going to be cheaper than buying a booster pump, uh, if you already have an air compressor. Okay. Speaking of pumps, there's another pump that most home mechanics will want to have. And that is a shock pump. What's a shock pump good for?
1: It's good for setting up your suspension. Jeff, <laughs> I am continually amazed by how many riders um, I know that are regular riders. They just never check their suspension. You know, I don't mean fiddling with your knobs, you know, adjusting your compression settings and your rebound and stuff like that, that if you don't want to get into that, whatever. But at a bare minimum, you need to make sure you have your sag set correctly on your fork. And if you're on a full suspension on your shock as well. I have a couple of different pumps. I have a larger one that I use in the shop and then I have a smaller Bursman mocked pump. I take that on the trail or, you know, when we're traveling and testing bikes for making fine tuning adjustments. And I really like the Bursman, the way it threads on and off either your fork or your shock. It lets basically no air out, which is a pretty tough feat for a lot of shock pumps because, You'll pump it up to the pressure you want, and then you lose, you know, five or more psi when you unscrew it. So, you can never kind of quite nail it where you want to.
2: Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to that, other than you should have a shock pump in your pack pretty much all the time if you're running air suspension. Um, and like Aaron, I've seen a lot of folks who don't, and it it amazes me. So that's. Not only is that a shop tool, that's a necessary on-trail tool pretty much all the time to have with you.
0: Yeah, and in my experience, whenever I bought a new bike, full suspension bike specifically, it's come with shock pump. So a lot of us probably have a bunch of those kicking around in our garages already. Okay, next up on our list, the chain tool. Why is this one important? Now we're starting to get into some of
1: those specialized tools that you can't really get away with not having. You know, if you do need to break your chain, you're not going to be able to do it with a pair of pliers. I mean, maybe you can, but you're going to mangle your chain and you're going to have to go buy a new chain. So you should have just had a chain tool in the first place. Again, it's another tool where there's a ton of different price points on these, but you just need to make sure that you get one that works for your particular drivetrain. And I mean the number of speeds that you're running. So if you're running nine, 10, or 11, 12 speed drivetrain, they have different size pins in their chains. Uh, so like you can use a 12, you know, a chain breaker that's compatible with like a 12 speed drivetrain on a nine speed drivetrain, but not necessarily the other way around. So that's a, an important tool to have.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize that. That's good to know.
1: Yeah, see, we're teaching everyone here. <laughs> Another little bonus item, uh, maybe not necessary tool, but good to have, is a chain checker. Particularly now, with you know many of us running single ring drivetrains, and from you know your recent article, Greg or Jeff, I think that's not slowing down anytime soon. Everyone's moving towards a single ring drivetrain. Chain wear is. Really important to stay on top of. Uh, If you wait too long to change your chain, you're going to cause premature premature wear to your chain ring and your cassette, and those are a lot more expensive to replace than just the chain. And you know, you may think, "Oh, I'll just wear my chain out completely and throw a new chain on," but unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. If your chain is really worn out, the cassette and the chain ring are going to wear to that chain. And when you put a new chain on, you're going to have all kinds of shifting issues and you could drop your chain and it's just, it's not going to work. So chain checker, pretty cheap. You know, there's some that are like $10. Again, you can spend 25 bucks on one, but having one is, is definitely good if you're running a single ring drivetrain.
0: Yeah. And it more than pays for itself. If it helps you diagnose a chain that's too stretched, because like you said, you're looking at replacing a cassette which is going to cost you upwards of 50 bucks if you don't get it right. Okay, cable cutters. These are a little bit different than what you might buy at your hardware store, right, Aaron?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of another um bike specific tool. Um you can you can kind of get away with some what do you what do you call those things? Side cutters? Side cutters, yeah. You can get away with those, but they're not—they're not, um, not going to create the cleanest cuts if you're cutting housing or or cables. But I would just say, if you get a pair of these, don't use them for anything else. You don't want to damage them, and uh, you know it's—it's it's one of the tools where you might want to pay a little bit more to get a, a quality set of cutters. And if you do, they'll last you a long time.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a lesson learned for me. I tried using some general purpose side cutters for a long time and found that it would. It basically mashes your housing down and flattens it before it cuts it. So it doesn't work very well. You got to get some real cable cutters. True. It's so satisfying
1: to get that nice, clean, crisp cut.
0: Yeah. We should make a video just like cutting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about some other general purpose tools? There's probably a lot of other things uh, that are useful for working on bikes, but that maybe people
2: already have laying around, right? You should probably have a bunch of tools already in a toolbox, either in your car or in your garage, that will still help you out on the bike. Some of these tools include screwdrivers of various sizes, because not all heads are the same size, but if you do get combination or a multi-head screwdriver, as Jeff mentioned before, this could really help you out in this respect. Uh, adjustable crescent wrenches, you never know when you're going to need one of those, and they can definitely come in handy. Uh, combination wrenches... Generally, an 8, 9, and 10 millimeter will cover most things on a bike. A needle nose pliers can get into really tight spots. Sometimes you need to use a hammer on your bike, but be careful of using a metal hammer uh, on certain things. Sometimes a rubber hammer is really useful, or you can combine a metal hammer with a board to do things like, say, punch out a fork out of your headset We already mentioned side cutters, but a measuring tape can come in handy. Uh, You might need to use a measuring tape to set a sag on your fork if it's not graduated and marked on the suspension already. Things like utility knife, those all come in handy as well. And you might need vice grips at some point in time. Not always recommended, but you just never know. Vice grips are definitely good for emergencies when you've you know, maybe
1: rounded off a bolt because you're torquing on it too hard or something
2: yeah i've definitely used the vice grips for uh for an emergency derailleur hanger straightening session uh on the trail which is not ideal but sometimes it can get you moving again so there you go
0: okay so we mentioned a lot of the tools uh one of the other big pieces that any home repair shop is gonna want is a repair stand right do we need like a dedicated stand or Is there something else you can use, uh, sort of in a pinch?
1: Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to overemphasize how much easier it is to repair your bike in a stand. You know, bikes are awkward and cumbersome when you're trying to work on them. You can fashion your own stand with a little bit of ingenuity and creativity, but a quality folding stand is certainly a good investment. It's going to, it's going to save you time. And it's going to help keep you sane. Honestly, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to like work on your bike with it flipped upside down or something like that, but uh, it gets it gets old real quick. Here in the office, we use a, a Feedback Sports Pro Elite, and that's it's not cheap. It runs about two hundred and fifty bucks, but it it'll last a lifetime. Uh, it folds up pretty compact, and so we can bust it out when we need to and stash it away when we don't. But they also have, you know, Feedback has a bunch of other stands. Their sports stand, which is pretty similar to the Pro Elite, just, you know, slightly lower grade materials and, you know, a little bit different clamping mechanism is about 150 bucks, and, uh, you know, get many of the same features. So, uh, like I said, I just recommend one that, that folds up for storage because, like bikes, stands are pretty big and awkward. And unless you have a big shop, they can take up a lot of room.
2: And it's worth noting that not all repair stands are made equally like the burlier, the repair stand generally, the better it's going to make for a more stable use case when you're wrenching on stuff or trying to adjust things on your bike. You don't want your stand moving all over the place. I've got a couple of stands in my garage and the more stable feedback stand is definitely my go-to the other one's almost not usable. So worth putting some money in here.
0: Yeah, definitely good advice. All right, finally on our essential tools and supplies list. Uh we got grease and cleaning supplies. What kind of grease do we need? First off,
1: tube of Park Tool PolyLube 1000 it will last you years and years. And you're going to want to use it almost anytime you have metal touching metal. So, I use it for threaded bottom brackets, for lightly greasing axles for headsets, for all kinds of stuff. And, you know, a tube's like 5 to $7 and will literally last you a long time because you don't need to go crazy with it. But yeah, if you're swapping pedals regularly, anything like that, you know, you're pulling cranks in and out, like you want to, you want to grease that stuff. With carbon, you have to be a little more careful and pay a little bit more attention because all grease is not good with carbon. So keep that in mind. But yeah, when you're talking metal on metal, if you've got a metal post going into a metal seat frame, you're going to want to lube that. So definitely an important thing to have on hand.
0: Yeah. And while we're talking right now about tools and, you know, maybe this discussion is geared toward people who are, you know, inclined to working on their own bikes, anybody can clean a bike, right? So what kind of cleaning supplies or tools should mountain bikers keep in their home kit
1: grab yourself uh, like a five gallon bucket and some brushes and maybe a little bit of dish soap and that's basically all you need you don't have to get bike specific brushes by any means i know there's a lot of kits out there that are sold but they generally tend to be more expensive and um, i've found most of the brush kits i've gotten not to be very impressive so just get something with some stiff bristles on it. You could even get a toilet brush as long as it's a fresh one. Don't, uh, don't try to pull double duty there. Get a dedicated one for your bike for sure.
2: Maybe this doesn't uh, qualify as repair, but... This could be obvious enough that we're not mentioning it, but you should also own some chain lube as well. So once you wash your bike, you want to lube that chain up and keep it from rusting. And sometimes you need to lube other portions of your bike too, other um, moving metal bits. Sometimes your bike will have grease ports. Um, that's not super common these days anymore, but it could have those. So um, once you've washed it, be sure to um, lube it back up again.
0: Right. So we mentioned a number of essential tools and items for the home repair shop. But my question is, did you guys buy all these tools at once for your shop? Or is this something you accumulated over time? Because it seems like this could be kind of expensive if you're just starting out.
1: Yeah, it could definitely get expensive. It's something I've collected over time. Um I've got a lot of money in tools, but I've also been picking them up for over 20 years. So my collection has, has grown over that time. I would actually steer... Uh, people away from most of the pre-assembled toolkits. A lot of them are going to have useless tools or maybe tools that you already own. They're going to have screwdrivers and things like that. But sometimes, you know, still a lot of these kits include cone wrenches, which if you don't know what a cone wrench is for, they're for very old hubs, basically. (laughs) And most people, you know, if you have a higher-end bike or even even today, like entry-level bikes are are not going to need cone wrenches for them. So... They're not really a lot of the tools just aren't applicable to to modern mountain bikes, I would say, so you're kind of wasting your money on on useless tools. I'd say one of the exceptions again is from feedback sports. They didn't sponsor this episode or anything, but maybe they should have. <laughs> they have a team edition toolkit, and it's not cheap it's two hundred and fifty bucks, but it's like it's really smart uh, The tools are really well made, and it's stuff that you'd actually need so. If you're looking to buy a complete toolkit, you know, it's probably going to be after you've had a little bit of experience wrenching and you'll have a better idea of what you need. But if not, you know, maybe talk to your to your local shop and, and see what they recommend as uh, the must have tools for your particular bike.
0: Yeah. Uh, and another way to illustrate this, a few years ago, I bought a set of drill bits like for woodworking. And it, you know, it was one of these kits. It's like 250 bits. And I was like, what? all right. Yeah. I was like, all right. This has got everything I need. So I used it a few times and then then I realized that it had like 35 Phillips 14 drill bits like <laughs> and I guess cuz you like round some of them off or whatever but yeah, yeah it's just the same tool over and over Yeah and I mean over. maybe
1: if you're installing drywall all day long you need that many but that's a right. lifetime worth of number
0: yeah. 14s Exactly But similar note a lot of times too if you buy the tools individually they're going to be higher quality you know you don't know when you buy a kit you know they might have skimped on the chain tool, or you know you just don't know what the quality is of each individual tool. So I personally recommend the same thing: like picking them up one at a time and really focusing, doing your homework, and making sure that the tool that you're adding to your kit is a good one that's going to last.
2: If you're a true beginner and you are working on a budget, um, one thing you can do is buy a pretty comprehensive multi-tool for the trail, and then use that for your basic repairs. However, um, as you spend more time mountain biking and do more and more repairs, you're not going to want to use that multi-tool very long. Uh, it's pretty cumbersome to work on a bike. But you know, if you really are strapped and on a budget, that's a good way to go. A good example of this is um, until like a few weeks ago, I would always like more and more Torx heads are coming on bicycles than they used to. And so for a long time, I was just using the Torx on my multi-tool and finally I was like, there are too many Torx heads. I'm buying a whole set for myself. So um, that can get you through, but it's not a great solution.
0: Yeah. One final way that I've personally justified my, you know, individual tool purchases over the years is, you know, I'll wait until I need a tool. So, you know, if, if I'm about to go into the shop and have them, you know, swap out a cassette for me, you know, I'll look at it and be like, well, you know, it's going to be 25 bucks for them to swap this out. And I could buy a really nice cassette tool for, less than 25 bucks probably. So a lot of times I'll, I'll do the math that way and just say, I'm just going to buy the tool and learn how to use it. So it's another good way to accumulate some good tools over time. Okay. So we talked about, uh, the essential tools. What are some tools that are nice to have in your home repair shop? I mentioned a cassette tool. You guys have a cassette tool. Is that
2: how soon did you buy one of those versus like say other tools? I actually got a, a cassette tool and an accompanying chain whip because you need to use both those together. Um, pretty early on, I don't recall what the motivation was, but you know, if you need to take your cassette off, you need to have a cassette tool and a chain whip. There's not really any uh, way to get around that. So uh, if you're moving a cassette from one wheel to another, you're replacing an old one. Uh, you know, those are pretty easy repairs to do, but you have to have the right tool to do it. Otherwise, you just can't do it so um and they aren't very expensive either
1: yeah definitely th- those two are good for the reasons greg mentioned or if you just want to take your cassette off and give it a good deep clean um which which i do from time to time uh another one is a bottom bracket tool at least for threaded bottom brackets which are sadly becoming more uh uncommon the most common size is it's a 16 notch and that's going to work on like your shimano holotech 2 bottom brackets sram gxp lots of the race face bottom brackets, but, you know, we also have threaded bottom brackets for cranks with 30 millimeter spindles now, and that uses a different larger tool, which uh, I found out the hard way when I got a new crank set and bottom bracket, and it showed up and I didn't have the tool for it, but that was uh, that was an excuse to buy a new bottom bracket tool. For the bottom brackets, there's uh, there's a couple different uh, tools. There's like a wrench, typically. And then there's like a socket drive and I prefer the socket drive because they tend to be machined a little bit tighter, a little bit better tolerances. And, uh, it's a little bit easier to get torque on them with a, uh, with a good socket wrench.
0: Yeah. So does that work with a standard socket wrench? The ones that you've seen?
1: Yeah, they're, they're typically half inch drive. So if you got a socket wrench laying around, it's a, it's a good option. And The uh, socket itself is about the same cost as a wrench. So, you know, there's no, it's basically whichever one you prefer.
0: Cool. All right. Speaking of wrenches, what about a pedal wrench? Sometimes pedals get really stuck
2: and there's no easy way to get them off. Yeah, this is under this category because generally you could use one of your hex keys to get your pedal off, but a pedal wrench is going to have a longer arm on it, which gives you more leverage, again, for those really tight pedals. But I would almost consider this a must if you're swapping pedals between bikes pretty frequently. Uh, You might not be, though, so um, take it with a grain of salt. It's pretty useful. Two other tools that I recently added to my kit uh, just this year, which have made life a heck of a lot easier. Uh, one is a valve core remover for pressed valves. And now, this is a really cheap tool, and I had some. I had some other types of valve core removers, and sometimes you make your way with a needle nose plier. But actually, buying the ones from stands uh, made my life so much easier. And this is great if you're injecting sealant through the valve into your tire once it's already seated. Uh, you can get away with putting your sealant in the tire before seating it, but sometimes that's uh, just more difficult and messier to do, and sometimes it's more difficult to seat the tire with the core in, so you might want to remove the core to, to seat your tire to begin with. Um, accompanying this, I also bought a tubeless sealant syringe, which is great if you have like a big ball of sealant in your shop. I keep a quarter stands on hand and then just draw out of that quart with the syringe and I can measure it and then inject it through that, uh, Presta valve that I just removed the core from. And together those two cheap tools have actually saved me a heck of a lot of time this year. So big fan.
0: All right. Another tool that seems to be on a lot of people's list is a torque wrench. What's a torque wrench good for? Is that something that everybody needs, Aaron?
1: If you have a carbon frame or if you have carbon parts like handlebars on your bike, I would almost consider this required if you're going to be working on your bike, of course, that is. Over-torquing carbon is easy to do and it can cause parts to fail, cause them to crack, cause them to break. And that's not good, especially if we're talking about handlebars, you know. So you want to make sure you torque your stem and your grips to the right values. You know, and one of the easiest places to crack your frame itself is at the seat collar. You know, if you over tighten it trying to clamp down your your seat post, you can easily crack your frame there. And guess what? That's not going to be covered under warranty. So (laughs) you just ruined your frame. Congratulations. So it's also important when you're if you're working on your suspension, it's your suspension pivots. Um, too much torque, you can kind of crush your bearings, which is going to obviously damage the bearings, but it's also going to hinder your suspension's performance. So uh, that's another vital area where torque is very important. They're really fancy, really expensive torque wrenches, but Park Tool makes the ATD1. Park Tool has the best names. It's 70 bucks, and it covers torque between four and six Newton meter in half Newton meter increments. And that's going to cover the really vital areas on your bike. That's going to cover your your grips and your stem and your, your seat post collar. Um, and, you know, if you don't need your torque wrench for a lot of other things, uh, then you can get away with that. But a decent torque wrench going above and beyond that is probably going to you know, range into the $100 and up.
0: Okay, so what about some even more advanced stuff? What if you want to, I don't know, bleed your brakes? Is a bleed kit something that's worth investing in?
1: I don't ever want to bleed my brakes, <laughs> but unfortunately it has to be done sometimes. Um, it is, it's is—it's—it's a real pain in the ass. Uh, I don't care what brand of brakes you have. They're all kind of tricky to do. It's one of the few things I dread doing on my own bikes and I'll often take it to Loose Nuts here in Atlanta to have Chris Tavel do it. Um, but, you know, it is nice to have the kit on hand at home in case you need to do it yourself in a pinch. Again, it goes back to the self-sufficiency thing we were talking about. You know, if you have a big ride weekend coming up and it's, you know, it, you're leaving Friday morning, it's Thursday night, and you start packing your bike up and you're like, oh, man, this brake feels like garbage. I need to bleed it you know, you'll, if you have the bleed kit at home and you can, uh, read instructions or follow a YouTube video, you can make your way through it and save the day.
0: What about tools for working on wheels? I think a lot of people, most of us probably own a, uh, spoke wrench, but beyond that you need some pretty specialized tools, right?
1: Yeah. You'll need a truing stand if you really want to get, um, get into it. Um, It's one tool that I still haven't bought yet because the one I want from Park Tool is like their pro bike shop model and it's like 400 bucks. So that's why I haven't gotten that yet. And a good buddy of mine, he has one and he lives just a few miles away. So I'll head to his house or uh, again down to loose nuts if I, if I really need to. If I'm building a wheel, or I've got something really out of whack, but a lot of times, if your wheel's just slightly out of true, um, you can you can get by with you know kind of using your frame as a truing stand. If you just have a couple loose spokes, it's only when things go really wacky that a truing stands a bigger help.
0: All right. Anything else? Any other miscellaneous tools that might be on people's list?
1: I actually use a pipe cutter probably more often than I, I thought I would. Uh, it's good for cutting aluminum bars, trimming steer tubes. I mean, if you're not changing forks very often, maybe you'll only use this a few times, but they're generally not too expensive, so it's a nice thing to have on hand. You, know, you can get away with using a hacksaw, but just make sure you have a guide. Don't eyeball that shit and freehand it. I've seen Way too many, uh, mangled bar ends and, uh, mangled steer tubes when people can't get their, their headsets to, uh, preload correctly because the, you know, that it looks like a rat chewed off the top of their steer tube. <laughs> and maybe a couple, one other thing, a, a scale that's definitely in the nice to have category. I know some people like to nerd out about how much their complete bike or their components weigh. So there's any number of brands that make, uh, big scales but if you want to get even nerdier you can use a kitchen scale to weigh small parts you know if you're just weighing like a shifter or a derailleur smaller components like that a kitchen scale you can pick up at any kitchen store or home store for for not a lot of money
0: all right so we talked about the essential tools we talked about some nice to have tools what are some tools that are just so specialized that really only shops would need to have them
1: there's a bunch in this category and some of them, you know, some of them are used more often than others, but generally what limits their accessibility to most home mechanics is just their price. Um, you know, so we're talking like bearing presses for headsets, for bottom brackets, for suspension pivots, for hubs, uh, you know, tools to remove and set, uh, the crown race on your fork. Then you get into some really specialized, um, cutting tools for, you know, facing head tubes and bottom bracket sh- bottom bracket shells, chasing threads, so cleaning up threads and bottom brackets, uh, but you're talking, you know, hundreds of dollars for these tools and not something you're going to be using regularly at all. All sorts of alignment tools, so like a derailleur hanger alignment tools, frame alignment tools, tools for routing internal cables, you know, stuff for overhauling suspension, Um, which that's a kind of a whole other subset of, of specialized tools when you get into suspension and you don't really want to, you don't really want to mess around with that stuff. You want to make sure that you're using the exact right tool for the job there because it's pretty easy to damage suspension components. And if you start damaging seals or scratching stanchions, you're, you're really going to degrade the performance of your, of your suspension. So, uh, yeah, that's stuff that, Not even, you know, a lot of that stuff I don't even have at home. And like I said, I've been collecting tools for over 20 years.
0: Okay, Aaron. So, yeah, you are definitely our tool expert. And so I want to ask you, how do you pick a high-quality tool for working on bikes?
1: Sometimes price can be an indicator, but that's not always the case. Again, going back to what I said earlier, for basic tools like hex keys, wrenches, pliers, hammers, You don't really need to get fancy, but when you start moving into the bike specific stuff, that's when you have to pay more
0: attention. So, what are some of the downsides to choosing an inexpensive tool? You know, just picking the cheapest one you can find. You could really damage your components.
1: And let's take uh, a bottom bracket tool, for instance. You know, a cheap one may save you a few bucks, but if the fit is sloppy and you end up marring your notches in your bottom bracket cup and then you have to break out the vice grips to remove your bottom bracket. You just lost that few dollars that you saved by buying the cheaper tool because now you need a new bottom bracket. So, uh more than anything, you know, choosing an inexpensive tool is can just cost you more money down the
0: line. Are there certain brands of tools that you look for or that are known for being high quality?
1: Absolutely. I think more than anything, uh you know, more than price, you need to look for a quality brand. For overall value, for the money, and just as long as they've been around, it's hard to beat anything from Park Tool. So they have different levels of tools as well. So they have some that are kind of more consumer-grade, and then they have shop-grade tools. And the shop-grade tools are obviously going to be more expensive because they're designed to be used a whole lot more than the consumer-grade. So depending on your budget, you can choose um, you know, in the application which one is best for you. Other really reputable companies uh, are Pedro's, Feedback Sports, as we mentioned a couple times. Bursman is a, is a newer company, but they make some, everything that I've used from them has been really nice, um, really well made tools. And then uh, Lasign is uh, along the similar lines as Bursman.
0: So, why are these high quality tools so expensive or seemingly so expensive?
1: The bike specific tools tend to be expensive probably just because there's a smaller market for them than let's say a screwdriver but the the same can be said of nearly any tool if you look at specialized woodworking tools or automotive tools from snap-on you know they they have a lot tighter manufacturing tolerances they're made out of higher grade materials and they're not going to damage what you're working on most importantly so that's uh that's probably has to do with the cost of them and they're designed to last
0: so this is more of a sort of a social question, but do you guys ever borrow tools from friends? And if you don't have friends who own a tool, is, are there other options out there?
1: Yeah, that can be kind of, kind of a tricky subject. I, I have some close buddies that I probably wouldn't lend a hammer to <laughs> mostly because I don't think I'd ever get it back or it would come back broken somehow. You know, if a friend has a tool that you need, maybe it's better to try to work out a time you can go over to their place and use it or they can come over and you know have a couple beers and work on bikes but if you take something home make damn sure you use it correctly and also that you return it quickly and again if that's not an option go to your local bike shop
0: yeah i once had a friend in college uh who See once had a friend yep, not, not friends once. anymore no we're still friends okay it's okay he didn't do anything to me but he he was trying to assemble his bike. You know, he had just come from across the country to school, and his bike was all unassembled, disassembled. So he's like, "Let's go over to this bike shop, and I'm gonna borrow their tool." And so, one like that's not cool if you're just borrowing a tool and like not having them do the repair. But he borrowed a uh a headset press, and you know, supposedly he knew what he was doing. He like, he's like, "Oh yeah, I worked in a shop before." He like sweet talked the guy or whatever so he uses it and the the tool just like breaks it just fell apart and the guy was like the guy just started getting so mad that the bike shop was just yelling at him and he's like he's like yeah i can't believe you broke my tool like this is a 300 hundred dollar tool and you know we were both like oh man like what are we gonna do and the guy like takes a deep breath he cools down for a second and he's like it was already broken <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's clearly having a bad day but uh Yeah, so we got out of there, but I was like, dude, don't ever do that again. Don't go in a shop and ask to borrow their tool. Yeah, unless you really know what you're doing. And yeah, and even if you do know what you're doing, that's how they make money is you know, basically doing stuff with their tools.
1: Right, that's a really good point. And uh, so I'm glad you made it. But uh, yeah, unless you have a, a really close relationship with your bike shop and you know, if you do or not, and um, you know, depending on what condition your bike is in when you bring it to them, they probably know what level of mechanic you are. So, um, keep that in mind if they, if they don't, uh, don't want to lend you something. (laughs) It's not personal, but it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tools can be very personal for sure. So sounds like all of us have a decent collection of bike tools uh, for wrenching at home. So how do you guys store your bike tools at your house?
1: I'm really fortunate that I have a, a large workshop, dedicated workshop in my house. Um, it's kind of like a little barn almost. I keep the bikes in the front half of the shop, and then I have the back of the shop to work on them, and uh, that's super handy because I can kind of keep the areas separate and it gives me plenty of room to work. And you know, as I've mentioned a couple times, I've been picking up tools for many years now. So over the years, my toolbox. Boxes have grown in size um, as I get more and more, and they don't fit. Got to get bigger toolboxes. So currently I'm on a pretty large five-drawer tool chest, which I'm pretty stoked about. I got that a couple years ago. It's like a really nice like mechanic-style tool chest with the big sliding drawers and everything. Pretty pumped on it. Yeah, those are nice. And I recently built a huge workbench in my shop because I had the space for it. So it's, it's like six feet long. Um, with the pegboard on the back, It's six feet tall, I built it. So it's like right at my waist level or a little bit higher. So it's easy to work on for me. It's designed, you know, just, just for me, which is awesome. And I keep my frequently used tools on the, on the pegboard above the bench, uh, for easy access. So I can just grab things as I'm working. And then the chest holds the more specialty stuff that, you know, I only need for specific jobs.
2: My setup's probably, a uh, or it- Not probably. My setup is significantly more Spartan than Aaron's, uh, but I just have a small toolbox. I keep most of my stuff in Um, the stuff I use or the tools I use rather more regularly stay in my bike stand. So they're quick to hand. Uh, And I also have a locker system that I use for supplies. So for instance, I might have like one locker and I have all my tire-related stuff in there, so I have tires, tubes, um, sealant, maybe some tire-related tools, and try to categorize things um, by task so I know where everything is. I mean, that's the main point—is you want to know where your stuff is when you need it, so you don't have to look for it. So that's always good.
0: Yeah, I have a similar system at home where I have uh, bins, and they're clear bins so I can see what's inside them, and yeah, I try to keep you know tire stuff together and wheel stuff and pedals, and keep that all separate so that I know where all of it is. And then here at the office, we have a uh, similar setup to what Aaron's mentioning, a workbench with a pegboard on the back uh, that makes it pretty easy to find tools that you need. I For whatever reason, I'm not good at doing work on the workbench itself. Maybe uh I just have never found one that's the right height, but my workbench always just ends up getting cluttered with stuff, and I end up working on the floor.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's always hard to
1: keep the workbench clean i find myself running into a similar problem so i've tried to be really good about putting my tools back at the end of uh, the end of every night when i'm done working on my bikes just so it's it's not such a mess when you come in to work on on your bike again
0: yeah do you have outlines on your pegboard to show you exactly no, what tool goes where no, you can I tell not, when one's missing
1: i did not go that far um, cause everything's right there, so I can, I can see it all. Um, and yeah, similar to you guys, I use tubs as well. I built a, a couple shelves underneath my workbench, so I have, uh, one shelf that has, you know, smaller components in it, um, and they're all in little bins that are labeled, and then underneath the bench, I use, uh, like big Rubbermaid style tubs with, I, like Greg, I have one for tires, and I have one for, you know, cranks and other assorted components, and they're all labeled, so know where everything is keeps it keeps it uh easier and uh you know just it's more friendly to work on
0: yeah it sounds like a good system i'd like to see a picture of that maybe we can post that up with the podcast episode here you all right to i'll clean it up first yeah clean up a little bit okay so we talked a lot about tools and workspace setup uh what about what supplies do you guys keep on hand briefly
1: yeah, I'll just run through some of these real quick. Greg mentioned a big bottle of sealant. Uh, I definitely agree there. I'm a serial tire swapper, so I go through a lot of sealant, and it just dries out. So that's an important thing to stay on top of. Uh, some other helpful things: cable housing, shifter cables, degreaser, cable crimps are really handy because sometimes those just fly off the end of your your uh, derailleur cable, and you know the cable starts coming unraveled and it just looks real ratty. So. Those little cable crimps come in super handy. Probably should have mentioned this in the, you know, must-have items, but zip ties get lots of different sizes, lots of different colors. so You can get all matchy-matchy. I'm a dork, and I like to reuse and repurpose zip ties, so if something comes packaged in zip ties, I'll cut them so I can reuse them. Yeah. Rubber gloves are super handy when you're working on your drivetrain or anything that's going to have like nasty oils in it or, or any kind of chemicals. If we're talking about brakes or working on suspension, you really don't want to get that stuff on your hands. Uh, and along those lines, shop towels, rags really can never have enough of those on hand. And for cleaning things up at the end, uh, gojo or a similar kind of orange pumice cleaner, get that with a nail brush and it'll really, uh, help you keep from looking like a grease monkey.
0: Okay. So finally, we've got all these tools laid out in our shop, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily know what the heck we're doing. So what do you guys do to learn new skills or to solve problems when you're in the shop and you're not really sure what to do?
1: I learned a lot from trial and error, obviously lots of error in the early days, but uh, I've, you know, I've been riding since I was probably four or five years old, so that's 35 years of riding. In, uh, oh No, not 35, 30 plus years, sorry, I'm not 40 yet. <laughs> so I've always, I've always just been fascinated by bikes and I've always taken them apart, um, even when I was young. So the, di- the difference being today that uh, there aren't any leftover parts when it's time for everything to go back together. <laughs> Uh, I also I worked in a shop for about a year and I learned a lot from my my good buddy Donald. He was a mechanic there at the same time, and he's still frankly one of the best mechanics I know. If I get stumped, uh, I'll reach out to to Chris Tavell over at Loosenut Cycles because he's he's a damn fine mechanic as well. But, you know, the Internet is a great resource. You know, if I don't if I don't know how to do something, you know, just look it up online. If you're talking about higher end components. Uh a lot of companies have really good resources on their websites with in depth instructions, whether that be uh, you know, visual aids like drawings and that sort of thing or videos. So, you know, YouTube is another great resource and you can figure out how to do almost anything on there.
2: I send Aaron an email and let him tell me how I should do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've done most of the same things Aaron has and uh I tend to go to my bike shop a lot more than Aaron does too. So, you know, that's a valid option if you don't own the tool or you don't feel comfortable working on something. A good example is I just got a new fork in and I was like, Oh man, I can probably cut this, uh, steer and set a star nut. But then I was like, well, I don't have a pipe cutter and I don't have a star nut setter. So I, I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to the shop. So, uh, I tend to do that a lot, but, um, you can't really beat just messing around with stuff and eventually figuring it out and hopefully not break anything along the way.
0: Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of, you know, using YouTube or uh, some of the other websites that are out there for doing stuff. The only problem that I have with that is that I don't remember how to do anything. Like every time I need to adjust my derailleur, I have to like pull up the same, same article that I always pull up and, you know, read through it again So for whatever reason, I need to like, just try to do it without reading the article and then maybe it'll actually stick. But, uh, yeah, the internet is pretty amazing. Are there specific resources that you guys prefer? I mean, there are a lot of how to videos and, um, you know, articles that have been written about these subjects, but are there some that you guys have found are better than others? Uh, again, park tool,
1: they have a really helpful website. It's really easy to navigate And there's a lot of info on there. They also publish a print book. It's called, like, Park's Big Blue Book of Bicycle Repair, something along those lines. Uh, Another print book is Leonard Zinn's The Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance. That's supposed to be excellent as well. I have not used it personally, but um, that guy mostly knows what he's talking about. So I'm just kidding. He (laughs) fully knows what he's talking about. (laughs) I'm not throwing shade at Leonard Zinn. Sheldon Brown is another online resource, and it's – Kind of really interesting to poke around just from the history aspect of it, but the site is like really ugly and old and hard on the eyes. If you've ever visited it, you know what I'm talking about. But if you want to learn about the like history of bike components and kind of like how we got to where we are today, it's a really good resource for that. And if you're interested in wheel building at all, it's hard to beat Sheldon Brown for basically all the instructions you need on how to build a a quality wheel.
0: Yeah, I find myself on the Sheldon Brown website a lot. And yeah, it's really interesting because he passed away many years ago. So the site's not being updated or anything, but a lot of the stuff is still really, really helpful and applicable. So
2: yeah, it's a good resource. I second that. I will throw one thing in there is lots of times, whatever component you're working on, you can find guides on the website for... Um, that brand or that component. And one issue I tend to run into a lot is since we test so much like brand new stuff, that print edition, say, of like Leonard's Zinn is going to be out of date by the n- next year, you know. So, for instance, this fork that I just got installed, I got a phone call from my mechanic who was working on it. Uh, this is a pro mechanic who's been in the business for like 30 years. And he was asking me like how to get this fork set up. And I was like, I don't know <laughs> um, because he had never seen that like random brand new fork before. So um, sometimes when you're working on some stuff, it, it can be difficult to go to those old resources, but usually you can get stuff directly from the brand, which is good.
0: Yeah. And for those who are pro mechanics, you know, this is not for the whole mechanic, but those guys, the reason they know what they know is they have, classes that they go to, you know, at all the big trade shows and things They're, you know, SRAM and Shimano and Fox, they're all there, um, basically showing people how to do stuff. So don't feel bad if you don't know how to do everything because, you know, it's a continual learning process and yeah, it's one that, yeah, nobody knows everything. So, well, all right, this has been quite a comprehensive discussion about mountain bike tools. Hopefully you found it useful. If you do, we'd love it if you rate the single tracks podcast on the iTunes store or Google play or Spotify or wherever you found us and subscribe. Subscribe too, because that way you're going to get the latest episodes and we got a lot of cool stuff coming up this fall for sure. So thanks for joining us this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.